The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to bromleytownchurch.com. Well, as you know, if you've been around this last few weeks, you know that we're uh, taking a stroll through the book of Romans. Um, A letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church, well, in Rome, bit of a clue in the title, really. He writes this letter from Corinth, and he writes it on his third missionary journey, and he writes it about four years before he actually arrives in Rome. He He always had a desire to go to Rome, always wanted to go to Rome. He's made it very clear in Scripture that he always wants to go to Rome. I'm not sure that he thought at this stage that he would get to Rome in the capacity that he did as a prisoner four years later. Um, But anyway, he himself, you remember, is a Roman citizen. And uh, Rome, at this time in history, center of the world. It's where it's all at. So why wouldn't you want to go there as an apostle and to encourage the church? And the church in Rome is made up of uh, Gentiles, uh, people like you and me, as it were, non-Jews. And it's made up of Jews who have come to faith in Jesus Christ. Um, it's a bit different, really, his letter. Why is it different? It's because, you know, when Paul writes his epistles, as we call them, he normally writes them to churches that he's established or helped to establish on his missionary journeys. When he writes to Rome, he hasn't been there, as I've said. So it's thought to be a bit of an introductory letter. Why is that? It's because he wants to go there. And he sort of writes to the church in Rome as a a sort of an introduction. This is what I want to... I mean, it's a wow of an introduction, I must say. But nonetheless... It's full, full of doctrine. Full of doctrine. What's doctrine? Christian beliefs. It's full of Christian beliefs. And as Pastor Jonathan has said more than once, I think, from standing up here since we started this series, uh, that it is the mightiest, quite rightly, of Paul's letters. But being full of doctrine, it's a bit difficult to understand. It takes a little bit of unraveling. It's, it's a bit to absorb. Even if, and I hope you have been reading it, I hope you've been reading it maybe along at this sort of pace and reminding yourself what it says. Um, it, it takes a little bit of, what are you saying, Paul? What are you saying here? And uh, yeah, that's what it's about. It's the tone of his letter. It's the way he writes. But uh, undaunted, we shall crack on. And we are going to be looking today at chapter 4. In chapter 3, having just introduced chapter 4, Paul makes this statement in verse 22. Righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Okay, he makes that statement, chapter 3, verse 22. Uh, When I say faith, of course, what I mean here is faith placed in the finished works of Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection in this promised son. But here in chapter 4 that we're going to look at today, he devotes the entire chapter on this doctrine of righteousness before God. Not by what you do, but how you believe. The whole chapter is devoted to this. And what he does, he draws parallels in the main from the life of the patriarch Abraham. He wants to use Abraham 
as, as it were, the focal point of this. Abraham was the father of the Jews. He was considered the mighty patriarch, the, the initial uh, f- the father, the founder, as it were, of their, of their faith and of the law and how it was established from there. And he wants to establish Paul in this letter, how Abraham actually, despite all of that, was justified, that was made right with God through his faith in God. That's it, just through his faith in God. Well, it follows, doesn't it, that if you're going to listen to me talk about Abraham, you need to know something about Abraham. And so I'm going to give you a quick synopsis of the story to this point, okay? Um, The need to know, as it were. Abraham, or Abram, as he was originally named, responded to a call from God. He had a dream. He had a vision. God met with him. Don't know how that happened. God met with him in an undeniable way, and he told him, I want you to leave your country, and I want you to go to a country that I'm going to show you. And that included an incredible promise in the same way that God gave to Abraham. He said, I'm going to make you into a great nation. What? He says way back in Genesis in, verse, in chapter 12, verse 2, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great. So this is the message that Abraham gets. Well, he obeyed. He left his home country. He went with his wife, who's called at this time Sarai. He goes with his servants, because he's a bit of a rich guy. And he goes with his nephew Lot. And off they go. They leave, not knowing really where they are going. So here we have a first demonstration of faith. He hears, he responds. Some good time later, and it is some good time later, Abraham hears again from God, and this time God makes a covenant with him. A covenant is a legal binding contract, yeah? It's a covenant, yeah? We've heard about covenants before. And he's been told that he would have a son, through his own union with Sarai, his own flesh and blood, and not only that, his offspring thereafter would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. This is what he was told. In the very next verse, so that's Genesis 15, verse 6, Abram believed in the Lord, and the Lord credited to him as righteousness. Okay? righteousness. Now, I'm afraid it all went a bit wobbly after that. Um, Went a bit worldly. Why did it go worldly? Because they've been in this place called Canaan now for 10 years. 10 years, okay? We know what it's like waiting, don't we? 10 years. Abraham is now 86 years old and no son has arrived. So what Sarai says is she says... We've got to sort this. And so how about you sleep with my, my, my servant girl, Hagar... And we'll see if she conceives and we can have a child via her, we we can establish a family. In that way, happy days. We've sorted it. Well, that's what happened. Abraham slept with Hagar and a son is born and they named him Ishmael. God was gracious because his gracious is, is his name. And he said, but this child's not the child of the promise. This is a child, but it's not the child of the promise. Not the child he'd promised. Abraham and, or Abraham and Sarah. 13 years later, okay, 13 years, he's waiting. Abraham is now, Abraham, 99. Okay, he's 99. And God appears to him again and renames him at this point Abraham. Abraham means the father of many. Bit of a joke, eh? And gives Abraham the covenant sign of circumcision. Thanks for that, Lord. Thank you. 
the Lord says that Sarai is to be renamed Sarah, which means princess, and that she will have a son. Sarah has turned 90. 90. Finally, Isaac is born to Sarah, uh, to uh, Jacob, uh, sorry, to Abraham and Sarah, and God's promise is fulfilled. Okay. Abraham's faith. Wow. Come on. Wow. Yeah? Wow. To think that your wife, who is infertile, the old fashioned word used to be barren, is able to have a child at the age of 90. I've got to say, in my book, I've got about yours, that's faith. That's faith. That is truly faith that, yeah, Lord, you've said it. I believe it's going to happen. They lived the best part of 4,000 years ago at a time where medical science, I think, was probably just scratching the surface at best. Understanding of medical science, zilch. But they didn't need a doctorate in biology to work out that 90-year-old women don't have children. You just didn't need that sort of understanding. They appreciated they don't give birth to babies at that age. And all the more reason why Abraham, in still trusting in God, still saying, yes, Lord, I believe you can deliver, more ways than one, perhaps, um, demonstrates amazing faith. Now, it's true that Abraham and Sarah did try to fast track. They did try to do things their own way. They thought, ah, God has said, let's, let's help God out. And so they did this thing that involved Hagar and the birth of Ishmael. But I get, I get hope from that. How many times do we hear what the word of God says to us? Or we hear something that we know true in our spirits, that that is what the Lord has said to us. And then we try to fast track it. Pastor Jonathan has said here, he's used that analogy about God being at the steering wheel. Is it well? Yeah, you remember that? And we go, yeah, Lord, I don't trust you. And we're trying to rest. It's exactly that. We try to do the same thing. Of course, we, we know that despite their worldly actions for Abraham and Sarah, and Sarah at this time, sorry, I'm going to flip between the two because it's confusing for me. They tried to do it in their own planning, but God was still gracious. God was still able. God still delivered what he said they, he would do. I think this is typical of God. What do you mean is typical of God? He, he doesn't allow Sarah just to conceive, does he, in her usual proper uh, childbearing years because that in itself would have been miraculous why because she's infertile she's infertile she can't carry a child she she's unable to conceive and therefore carry a child in a womb so that would have been miraculous but he doesn't do that he waits till Abraham 100 she's 90 and then allows Sarah's womb to be fruitful now when is a miracle ever more than a miracle I guess never but the fact is, by waiting till this time, until the promise is delivered, literally in the birth of Isaac, it can't be anything but God, can it? It can't be, oh, on that occasion, you conceived and we have a child in your womb. It had to be God. It was only God, but God can do what? Immeasurably more than ever we can ask or imagine. As Paul, the author of this letter, wrote when he wrote to the church at Ephesus. And of course, there is a lesson for us all in this, is that God declares something, God will deliver on it. Why? Because he is God. What do you mean by that? He is light. We've been singing it. He is holy. Holy. He cannot be untrue to himself. There is no darkness in him. Therefore, what he says, he will deliver. Everything you read in that promise, in the word you read, that hasn't yet come to pass, will come to pass. Why? Because God has said it. 
and he will deliver on those promises. So if you're holding on to one of these scriptural promises that you've taken as your, for, for yourself, or if you have had a word that you've had in your spirit, confirm that, yeah, this is of God, and it hasn't yet happened, hold fast. Hold fast, hold fast. The passage of time is always a frustration. Why? Because we're, 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 we're finite. We have a, a certain amount of time. So we look, come on, get on with it. I, I, you know, come on. But what God has said, what God has declared, will be provided. And we don't need to look further than Abraham or Sarah to see that. Now, I just want to a little devi- de- deviate slightly because I want to talk about David, King David's faith. Because Paul, at this point in his letter, in this chapter, talks about King David. Um, and he's talking about, remember, righteousness by faith as opposed to works. But Paul doesn't do what he does with Abraham. He doesn't then start drawing parallels from Paul's life. But what he does do is he, he quotes directly from two verses from Psalm 32 that David wrote. And it appears here in this chapter of Romans. He, 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 he just quotes it, verses 1 and 2 from Psalm 32. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin in the Lord will never count against them. Romans 4, 7 and 8. David knew that his righteousness, his standing before God, was attained, as it were, not for what he did done, but how he trusted God, how he just trusted God. Such is the righteousness of David that, 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 that he's been credited with, not that he's obtained by, him, as, as it, by his, own, his own actions, that when he later goes on in life to commit adultery and then indirectly commits murder by having the, the husband of Bathsheba you know, murdered on the battlefield because he was murdered, he didn't die by chance. God didn't take that righteousness away from David. Didn't take it away. It cannot be taken away from him. Why? Because God has given it to him as a reward, as it were, of his faith expressed in God. And, and I was thinking that, and I was thinking, well, if Abraham and if David were ever the subject of some celestial trial in heaven about their right to be considered righteous before God, I am sure the enemy would parade before the court as by way of evidence every misdemeanor, every wrongdoing, every unholy thing they did, and he would have had a field day with it because there was an awful lot that he could bring by way of evidence of their fact that they're not pure, they're not holy, they're not therefore righteous. But Paul is adamant that God did indeed declare Abraham and David righteous in their faith alone. Regardless, what's the bottom line? The bottom line is this. Those guys' works, good works, didn't get them righteous status. And their sins and misdemeanors and wrongdoing at the other end of the scale couldn't have it taken away from them either. It was credited to them as righteousness because of their faith in God. Now, these are not the keys to righteousness, I've called this really, because Paul then goes on to say, because the Jews did think this, the Jews were rooted. Abraham was righteous because he followed circumcision. God gave him that command. He fulfilled it. So did all those thereafter. That's why he was considered righteous. No, no, it wasn't. And Paul is making it plain that that's the case. 
And he is therefore setting here by taking his reference right back in the first book of the Bible, Genesis, that how all men and women, no matter how guilty and how stained by sin they are, and that is every single one of us, might come into relationship with God. He's saying it in Genesis. It was fulfilled by Jesus Christ. But it's through faith, not by works. It's faith in the finished works of the Lord. Now, I think it's ultimately, it's the faith, of course, that we place in Jesus Christ. But he says in verses 9 to 12 that although circumcision was given to God and his descendants as a sign of this covenant, this bond that God has made with Abraham, righteousness was not attained at that point. It was credited to him before, I believe you, God. And then came the covenant, then came the sign of circumcision. And also, he makes it plain, Paul, that in verses 13, 16, that righteousness was not through the law either. It was not through Abraham abiding in the law. Verses, uh, uh, chapter 4, 13, it was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that they would be heir of the world. Why? He goes on to give us the answer in verse 15. Because the law brings wrath. And we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The law requires 100% ability to stick to it and fulfill it. Abraham didn't do that. David didn't do that. You haven't done that. I haven't done that. There's only one person that did, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he was the only one who lived uniquely. He's the true Israelite who fulfilled all the commands, the statutes, the precepts, the laws of the Lord completely and 100% to pay for us. Righteousness was attained by God through faith alone. I just want to have a quick look at faith. Faith, okay? Now, it's, 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 it's a word that's commonly used. You, you will use it in your vocabulary, perhaps not every day, but you will. If you take a, a, a piece of paper and go out on the high street and say, give me the definition of faith. Sadly, these days, it wouldn't necessarily be people, oh yeah, that, 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 but by that, that's faith. Faith in God, faith in a religious sense. You get a few of those, but I think most people would say, well, it's an expression of, of trust in something or someone. And they'd be quite right in that. Um, I have faith in the politicians that they will put the world to right. Good luck with that one. We as a company... We'll never break faith with our loyal customers. You can hear it sort of being said. You might say, I haven't got faith in my boss. He's going to leave the department and where we need to be next year. All these words, faith, how you would use it. And we all express faith every day. I express faith. You express faith. Every time you walk out on a pedestrian crossing, you expect the oncoming car to stop. You express faith by sitting on that chair and not expecting that you're going to end up on your bottom. You express faith by knowing tomorrow, even though it might be cloudy, the sun will shine. These are all expressions of faith, and they are faithful things. But Christian faith is rooted and it is firmly established on dependence. Dependence and rooted on God and in him who can deliver us, what? Out of darkness, into light, who can bring him forth and fulfill the promises that he has promised, that he said he will produce. Our, our faith is not dreamlike, our faith is not surreal, our faith is not sort of fanciful. It's focused and its object is God. We trust you, 
just as the sheep in the flock looks at the shepherd, that's my object. That's my faith. That's where I'm looking to all the time. Not about, yeah, whatever, sometimes, yeah, I'm doing my own thing over it. No, faith is focused on God 24 hours a day, knowing that it's all about him. It's not about me. He has to have his way. Jesus said, he declared, have faith in God. Jesus said in Mark 11:22 and that is where Christian faith is directed it's placed in God if it is it has a sure foundation you might say yeah yeah I'm, I've got faith I've got faith I'm not saying it's a mighty faith I'm not saying it's a great faith but I, I sort of have a faith well it doesn't matter why doesn't it matter because the faith that you've placed is in a mighty all powerful all conquering God and if you have your faith placed there you have it rooted in the right place. Just another little aside. If you want to have your faith increased, read your Bible. Do read your Bible and read it regularly. Why? Because it, 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 it demonstrates the character of God. It demonstrates his love. It demonstrates and tells us of his promises that are going to be delivered, that have been delivered, and those that have yet to be delivered. Be in faith. Be increased in your faith. Be in the word of God. Okay? Gabriel, when he saw, coming up to Advent, Gabriel, when he was speaking to Mary and saying that you're going to be effectively the mother of the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, he said, for nothing is impossible with God. This is Gabriel speaking of God. So if we're troubled, if we're disturbed, if we're going through some things, and I know many of you are because you've told us, then I say, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. But that's tough. you don't understand how tough that is. I'm going through some real messy things. Listen, God will deliver. God is able. God is in control. He is the one where we have our faith rooted. He will strengthen your heart when you feel a little flaky and feel a little under par. He is trustworthy. And Abraham had this great confidence. And he saw what God could do. He's promised You know, we come back. God had promised Abraham a son. It wasn't through Ishmael. No. The line of Jesus Christ will be the son of the promise. And the son of the promise was to be Isaac. Isaac hadn't turned up at this stage. Where's your focus this morning? If you're watching online, or you're sitting in this room, where's your focus? Is it on your work? Is it on your finances? Is it in your abilities? Is it in your intellect? Is it in your material possessions? Is it on your wife? Is it in your children? All of those things are worthy things. But your focus needs to be first and foremostly on Christ Jesus Lord. And everything else takes its position and its following as a result. I want to look at verse 17. Paul says, verse 17 in chapter 4, He is our Father in the sight of God in whom he believed. That's to say Abraham, the God who gives life to the dead. And cause into being things that were not. Or in other words, cause the things which do not exist to exist. Okay, do you understand that? How? Because he's the God of creation. Because I can do these things. Because all things are possible in his resurrection power. Sarah's room was physically dead. Okay, it's dead. She was infertile. She was also about... 45 years on beyond the natural upper age of bearing children. Okay, dead. Doesn't happen. What happened? God gave life to that which was dead. 
If God can bring to life the womb of a 90-year-old woman who has always been infertile and cause her to have a son, do you think he can be trusted to bring you to life in Christ Jesus through faith despite your sin and wrongdoing? He brings into life that that is dead. We are dead outside of faith in Christ. Hope. Paul then says, "Against against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed. And so he became the father of many nations, just as it has been said to him. Verse 18. When we have a hope, it's a bit like faith. It's got to have a focus. It can't be unconnected. Hope does not have an unconnection. If it is, then it's best highly unlikely, and it's a bit flimsy. I could hope that it will rain £10 notes tomorrow morning. It's a hope, but it's not much of a hope. Why is it not much of a hope? Because it's not rooted on anything. It's not established on anything or anyone that might cause that ever to possibly come to pass. It's fanciful. It's baseless. It's just a fanciful idea. Abraham's hope is in God. Again, focused. So when Paul says, Abraham against all hope, I guess what he's trying to say is that hope in the natural had come to an end. I'm 100. She's 90. Just look at us. It was at an end. Well, I had hope in you, Lord, but it hasn't happened. But he didn't. He just... Lord, you've said, Lord, you can do this. We've just we've looked at it slightly earlier, I mentioned it. Abraham means father of nations. I haven't got a son. Yes, you have. You've got Ishmael. Yeah, but God has already told him, yeah, it's all right, and I'll bless him, but that's not the son. Well, where is this son? However, Abraham still believed. He still hung on there. As Paul goes on to say in verse 21, 22, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. That is why it was credited to him as righteousness, says Paul. Abraham's not an idiot. Abraham is not a fool. Abraham is not being hoodwinked. You know, he knew when he looked at his own body and the wife he loved for so many years and her aged body, infertile body, that it was, to put it mildly, a bit of a tall order. Now... Bit of a tall order, God. But the big point is this. Didn't dissuade him. Still believe you're going to deliver because you've told me. It is in your word. It is in what you have said to me. I believe what you can do will come to pass. Listen. This hope that Abraham had, it wasn't based on nothing. He didn't sit around year after year looking out, where's this son? Where's, where, where's this heir? He had to do something. And do you know what he had to do? He had to have sexual relationships with, with his wife, Sarah. Because Isaac wasn't born by immaculate conception. Only one was ever born by that way. And his name was Jesus through Mary. No, they had to have union. And even though they were old, and we won't go into this, but I need to point it out, there was something for him to do. You say, oh, yeah, but you were saying we shouldn't fast track. You shouldn't take the steering wheel. No, no, no. It's a man and a woman. That's what happens. You've got to. But they did. And this is, we see, a perfect working of faith and works, in a sense. 
blessed because they continued trusting in God and said, look, God has said, let's, 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 let's keep believing, let's hang on in here. You know, we worship a big God. Amen? Amen. Thank you. <laughs> because we do. And I've got to say, it's a great regret. But I think many, 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 and this includes, sadly, very many Christians, um, are not convinced that God is big. They're not convinced that God can deliver. Yeah, I go so far, but pff, no. And they, they sort of park their faith at a halfway point. Some people don't respond to Jesus Christ and the message of the gospel. They're a bit like, do you know, remember the, the parable where the birds of the air come down and pluck the seed off the path? It's because ah, it's too big. You're joking, really? It's meant to believe what you're saying in the Bible is what God is going to do, can do. And therefore they conclude that God's not big enough. People who have young, who started in faith, oh, I only go so far. They're not certain that the Lord can complete what he said. Yet, I remember when I was up in kids' church, when I was on the rotor up there years ago, doing my bit in teaching up there, there was a song that we sang. It was a simple, simple song, and it came straight to mind as I was writing this. And I'm not going to do the actions. I might try to sing it. Yeah, It used to be, Our God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing our God cannot do. Boom, boom. Okay. <laughs> Come on. <Yeah. laughs> Can I have a go standing up here one week? Um, no, but the thing is, it's so simple, and yet we should get it into our heads. That's the God we serve. He is so big. He is able to do more than we can ever ask in our imagine, and we need to get it through us. But Abraham, it seems, didn't have this problem. He remained steadfast, holding on to what would come to pass, being made righteous in God's sight alone, because I'm holding on to your coattails, Lord, because you've said it. Um, okay, the big ending. We come to this final three verses of chapter 4. I want to read them together. The words it was, this is from Paul writing in chapter 4. The words it was credited to him were not written for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Abraham is the example we need to have and Paul wants us to follow and to be focused on and to be encouraged to follow. He's absolutely, this is Paul, fixated on this thing that righteousness wasn't just for this man Abraham, wasn't just for David, it's for every single person that follows in the same way. Now, it needs to be said that what Paul is referring to when he quotes, for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, we need to understand that Paul is referring to faith and the trust in Jesus, his finished works on the cross, his resurrection, his paying the price for my sin, your sin, and that unrighteousness we carry being transferred into his righteousness. And that is where your, whole, your soul, your soul, faith and hope is secured in. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Any other sort of faith doesn't wash. Belief that there's a God and that Jesus Christ was a proven person of history 
not going to cut it. Believing that Jesus was a good moral teacher and that, you know what, we should all pay heed and try to follow what that man said. Not enough. Only faith, only belief in Christ died for you, paid the price for your wrongdoing and transgression on that cross at Calvary, raised to life on the third day, ascended and seated at the right hand of the Father, is the faith that God is looking for, that he will credit to you as righteousness. The resurrection of Jesus Christ shows one thing, shows many things, but one thing it shows is that God was fully satisfied with the life of his son and how he had fulfilled it and carried our sins. When Jesus went to the cross, he was still righteous. He carried your sin, he carried my sin, but the weight of sin he carried was a choice because he had fulfilled everything the Father had asked him to fulfill. And that is why we can have supreme confidence that in his completed works, that when Jesus' faith comes to us and we receive him, that the Lord sees the blood of Jesus, the righteousness of Jesus, not my unrighteousness. At the Exodus, the blood was over the lintels, it was over the doorposts, and the angel of death passed over. That's where we get a Passover meal. When he sees you and me, he sees Jesus. If your faith is in Jesus, if your hope is in Jesus, if you trust in Jesus unswervingly, that's where it comes from. Paul goes to great lengths in this chapter to get this message across. Hope, faith, in Christ alone, you, not by works, righteousness attained by faith. In the gospel, in this glorious gospel. And way, way, way back in Genesis, God declares the gospel in Abraham. Faith. Not by works, not by the law, by faith. Faith in me. And this is why the Jews got it so horribly wrong. They had faith to begin with, but it went like that. We've got to fulfill all those, what was it? What was it? 613 laws. We've got to fulfill. Faith was lost. Focus on the law became the, the big issue. Faith. God, I cannot do this. But you are more than a conqueror and you have delivered. That is where the cry of faith comes from. So be assured this morning that righteousness comes from faith, not by works. And Paul beautifully, beautifully sets this out for us in chapter 4. Amen. Amen. Well, God goes on. And Paul, through the inspiration of the Spirit, through into chapter 5 and beyond to bring us more glorious blessings of what it means to be in Christ. But thank you. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.